Three Sides of the Coin, this week we are so honored to be joined by the legendary songwriter Holly Knight. Holly, thank you so much for being with us. And how did you end up here? You know, I was really looking forward to this one in particular because um, Kiss, you know, I have a lot of history, history with them. Um, but actually, the show happened because. Uh, Paul uh, had actually texted me and said, "Oh, you should do you should do three sides of a coin. They're our you know our biggest fan um, fan club, and they do a podcast, and they're really nice people." And I said, "Well, could you uh, contact them for me and make the introduction?" And he did, which I thought was very nice of him. Um, it was awesome of him to do that. And yeah, we were thrilled. here. You here you are, and and everybody's got to stay Paul. through the end. Because this is an amazing conversation. It is. This is Three Sides of the Coin. Talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. you got two of us today, Mike and Tommy. And, and we have such a fascinating interview with one of the legendary songwriters. I, I think she deserves that title, Holly Knight. If you grew up in, in the, especially in the MTV 80s era, you've heard her songs. You may not have realized you've heard them. Plus, she's had some involvement with Kiss playing all the keyboards on Unmass. Hide Your Heart. A couple tracks off of Psycho Circus. Didn't even get, I, we forgot to ask her, but she also did something on Paul's last solo album, Live to Win. Oh, shoot. There's so, we should have her There's back so up. much. There's so much that she's she's been involved in. This is such an absolutely fascinating interview that goes into some minutia, but just you know, if you love the process of songwriting, she takes us in. Maybe we can get her back on sometime just to talk about the process of writing a song. I would love to yeah. hear about how, this is how I piece this together. And just because that sort, sort of about, like what we did with Adam Mitchell. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Because there's some stuff she reveals during this interview about how she writes songs and the different ways she does it with different instruments that I thought was really intriguing. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we're not, we're not going to listen. First of all, tons of amazing comments. Thank you so much for all the comments you guys have yeah. left us on our interview with Timothy Bogart and Joyce Biowitz. That was, that was such a fascinating and honorable interview that we got to do and you got to check it out if you haven't. Yeah. Um, I think I, I, and I don't know this for a fact, but maybe the last on air sort of interview Joyce did was, over 20 years ago for VH1 Beyond the Makeup. Yeah, yeah, she just doesn't do interviews. So to have her come on and give us two hours of her time along with Timothy, which was great, Tim Tim taking time like that, we're still blown away. I actually had to call Michael over the week and go, can you freaking believe what we did on Friday? I couldn't, yep. still couldn't get over it. But I do have to say one thing because I thought this comment was so fantastic. This is from Danny Siegelman. This is so good. Even the minutia has minutia. I saw that. <laughs> minutia. Hard of minutiae yes that is our calling card so yep 
Yep. I mean, we we just love, we just love learning about history and it doesn't change anything about the band, the albums or the songs. And, and to this episode with Holly Knight, you may learn things about songs that you didn't know. Remember that song is still freaking amazing. Even though you might've learned that Holly Knight wrote it. Right. Doesn't change it. Mm -mm. And, and for me, and I said this to her too, and Michael and I have talked about this, you know, we started this thing 10 years ago as a goof, just like, okay, we'll do something fun. We didn't know if a hundred people would listen. And I know you, some of you have heard the story before, but I really take it seriously because I feel like we're really, we are trying to archive musical history here. Yep. And having people like Holly join us, which is such a treat. Share, just share so the stories. Yeah. 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 It's wonderful to hear that perspective. Yeah. So, yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we mentioned that, that, that Casablanca and Neil Bogart created the songs that were the soundtrack to our lives. Holly Knight has done the same thing. She is, she has written so many songs that are the soundtracks Mm -hmm. to our lives, especially if you grew up during the eighties, but even if you didn't, you're probably hearing these songs and commercials and TV shows and everything else. So while the bands are we'll, still playing them live and they're let, being played by covers. Yep. Let this roll. This is an incredible interview. Holly Knight. Three sides of the coin. We are so, so honored to be joined by Holly Knight. Um, Holly, welcome to the show. And, and first of all, thank you for writing so much music that has been the soundtrack of my life. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm completely aware of who you were, but as I was digging into Spotify, I'm like, oh yeah, that song and that song and that song. And it's like, if you grew up in the era of MTV, you had your fingers all over the place, didn't you? I did. That was my, um, it was a good era for me because I was really into rock music and, you know, rock while it's still alive and and booming for a lot of bands and especially the bands like Kiss, um, it's not what it was back then, which back then it was actually getting played on the radio. And um, so it was a perfect pairing for me because I was a rocker, still am. Yeah, still are. Um, So, so let's, let's, Let's back all the way up. We're going to talk about your old complete history here, but obviously this is a KISS podcast. And, and let's, let's back all the way up to your first, and, and you, you talk about this in your book, but what was your first connection into the KISS world? Oh, let's see. Um, it started because I was in a band called Spider, and we had a drummer, Anton Fig, who had befriended Eddie Kramer. And Anton was from South Africa, as was the lead singer and guitarist in Spider. So when they met Eddie, they just really had hit it off because they had that expatriate thing, you know. And for those of you that um, you know, don't know who Eddie was. He's a producer engineer that just did so many legendary records like Hendrix and Zeppelin. Um, and so they really wanted to work with him. And oh, in the meantime, Ace was doing a solo record. If you remember Kiss, were, they were all doing a solo record and all the yep. artwork matched and everything. Um, and Eddie was doing Ace's record. So the guitarist in my band, Keith had this idea, oh, maybe if I send him a song, Ace will cut it. So 
um, Eddie took a listen to the song and, and he played it to Ace and Ace wasn't crazy about the song, but he loved the drummer. He said, I want that drummer for this record. And so Anton stepped in and did all the drums on that. And that was really sort of the first connection to Kiss. Um, in addition to him being the drummer in my uh, band, in our band, um, I was living with him, uh, which is all in my book. Um, sure. And because I was outside of the band, his girlfriend, whenever he and Ace would get together to do something social, I was invited. And, you know, that's putting it mildly when I say social, because, you know, he was, an, you know, he's a big party animal. And um, the two of them together was like a dangerous combination. But <laughs> it, we had a lot of fun. And that sort of that was the very beginning of it. And then Kiss heard about Anton and they list they thought, you know, God, the germs are so good on Ace's record. Who's this guy? So the next record, they asked him to play drums on it, which was Dynasty. And then the next one, Unmask. And then in the meantime, we became friendly with Bill Coyne and uh, he came down to see us play live and said, I want to manage you. So that, then at that point, uh, we had the same manager. And so we would run into each other, like in the office or at SIR or, you know, different different places, recording studios like the record plant and stuff like that. Were you were you a fan of KISS at that point in time? I'm sure you were obviously aware of them being in New York right. and they were a New York band. How could you not be? But what sure. was your what was your impression of KISS back then? I, you know, I really, to be honest, didn't really know much of their music except for rock and roll party all night, you know, yeah. and um, I hadn't seen them live. So in, in fairness, I, I wasn't really in the beginning and I was very transparent about this in the book. I wasn't a big fan of Kiss. Even when I heard them, I thought, well, their stuff was pretty um, simple. And I was kind of like a musical snob because I had studied classical piano for 10 years. And so I didn't really pay much attention to them. And then I went to see them live and um, I was just blown away. <laughs> it was like, well, now this is something I've never seen before. And so um, after that, I became a, a, a fan of the extravaganza and, a, and of the guys in the band and everything. But they were never really ever my go-to band uh, at, at that point, you know. Well, and who? Well, so who did you like growing up? Because you're saying you're a musical snob. Was it? Did you look at them like so many other artists at the time? Where like this is just a gimmick. It's this yeah, doesn't. I will, yeah. No, it wasn't even that because I thought the gimmick or whatever you want to call it worked for them. I think that made them unique. I just musically thought, I just thought that their lyrics were very simple and I was sort of a deep thinker at that point. And I was more into like Queen and um, Pink Floyd, okay. very artsy bands, you know, even Zeppelin, which of course I know that uh, Paul's idol is, is, is yeah. Jimmy so huge influence on Paul yeah absolutely well I found your book to be really interesting because to what Michael was saying before we started you start listening to Spotify and all these different songs that you've written but the thing that interested me the most from an admission you made was how you had never really been a songwriter and you just like well how you know my songs they're not going to be any worse than these other ones that I'm, I'm listening to and you just step forward and started to write and I just find that fascinating that you're able to 
take that on and then feel comfortable in a relatively, at least it looks like a relatively short period of time and end up really writing some incredible material. So can you talk a little bit about what it's like to be a songwriter? Um, you, you know, it's like, I know this sounds cliche when people say this, but I do have the best job in the world because I get to make money doing something I love. And, you know, as I said in the book, that's a good thing because I didn't have a plan B. I had no idea what else I would have been. But look, the good part is I was able to do something I loved for 40 years, over 40 years. Um, I never expected anybody to know who I was. Like I picked this because it was behind the scenes and I hate all the stuff that comes along with being a rock star and everything. When that was my original, you know, agenda was I want to be a rock star, you know, um, not because I wanted to be rich or famous, but I just wanted to be making the music that I wanted to do. And I didn't realize at the time that that was totally tied into writing your own songs, you know. In your chapter where you're talking about writing Invincible and working with Pat Benatar and Neil Giraldo, you had mentioned, if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong here, that you wanted Mike Chapman to produce the song because you didn't feel that Neil, you didn't trust that Neil would be able to create it the way you heard it in your head. So can you tell me what that means? Why did you feel Mike Chapman was the right person and not Neil? And, and how do you, when you write a song, how do you get it across to the artist so that they hear it the way you hear it? When I write a song, not only do I see the video in, in my head, which helps with lyrics and things like that, um, I hear, because I'm a musician, first and foremost, I hear all these different parts. And a lot of those are hooks. There are musical hooks, there are vocal hooks. And so when I put them down on the demo, I really love it when someone takes a demo and copies it as much as they can without sort of, you know, um, feeling like they haven't made it their own. So one person that was always brilliant with that was Tina Turner. And I think it's maybe because she wasn't a songwriter or she just respected, it was more old school. Um, the way she would do things. And I love that about her. Then there have been other people, for instance, I write about in the book, how I wrote Love is a Battlefield. And then Neil Giraldo, the guitarist in Pat's band and her husband completely like changed the production. He didn't change the song, but when you change the production, it gives it a different feel. I mean, the song is still very much intact. In you know, there's the verse, there's the chorus, there's the lyrics, there's the Love is a Battlefield. But um, I felt that uh, Mike Chapman, was a you know he was a really successful producer well yeah just to stuff one number board. one after another all the blondie yeah. stuff that he did and he did the knack my sharona and hot child and see you know he did all that glam rock with the suite in in london and and he was a songwriter he was a great songwriter so i had been working with him we had been writing a lot of stuff together and it, it's sort of like yeah the midas touch even if we wrote a song that was like demoed very, very simply. We always got all of the stuff there. So um, I felt like that song, when I turned the demo in, and I have the demo actually still, which is on my audiobook. Um, I put on my audiobook that came out, which I also narrated, and it's on Audible. That's my little plug. Um, that uh, I put snippets of demos to like some of my biggest songs that I've never released before. And the reason I did it was just to show people, look, it was all there. It was all there in the demo and that's the proof, you know? Okay. Um, also, I think that just his sounds are better. I mean, if you listen to the drums to Invincible on uh, that Mike produced to say something like, 
love is a battlefield it's just more it's rock and it's raw and it's it's tougher sounding you know um i felt like love is a battlefield was overproduced to be honest okay well and they still perform it live to this day it's their biggest song they'd be crazy not to you know that right. and, yeah i guess uh, holly more. as mm -hmm. as a songwriter when you do something like that whether it's with pat benatar or anybody else and you and you deliver a song is there ever a point where you can say you're not doing what i feel is best i'm pulling the song back do you have the right to do that to say no don't use this you're you not you're not you're not following my heart right that's a great question you do if it's the first time it's being recorded it's called favored nations and um basically what that means is when you write a song the first time it gets cut you get to say yes or no to whoever's cutting it once it's released, anybody can cut it as long as they license it and they pay for it. They don't need the artist's permission. They need the publisher's permission right. to, to license it. And it's funny because a lot of times my songs get licensed and they don't tell me. And I, you know, I end up watching a movie or a TV and it comes on. And it's like, oh, did we license this? I had no idea I had a song this. And it's, it's always a, a wonderful like surprise, you know. Um, but so going back to the Benatar thing, I suppose when we heard the demo, we could have said no, but it was Pat Benatar and she was huge and she still sounded, my complaints were not at all with the vocals. Vocals were great, you know. Um, I just felt there were a lot of synthesizers and program drums and I felt for this, Mike and I both felt very strongly that it just needed to be like a, as I said in the book, like meat and potatoes and a chalice of red wine, it should be something that sounded like it could have been in the Game of Thrones, you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah. No, that, do you that's ever, great. Do you ever then look back and go, well, gee, what they recorded became a huge hit. So oh, all the time. we were both right. We were both right. Yeah, well, put it this way. I, as it was going up, up the charts, um, as I said in the book, you know, sort of dislike turned to love as we watch it going up and up and up the, the charts um but then there's that thing like you know the what if if you really want to go down that road i mean it went to number five maybe it would have gone to number one number one <laughs> yeah exactly but then again i really shouldn't complain because it's just been licensed so much it's been great for both of us and um i'm, I'm happy for them you know that, that this all worked it out out and everything is one of the, one of the challenges as a songwriter, especially when you've written for so many artists who've had so many big hits with songs you've written, that the 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 fans who listen don't know that it was you. They think it was completely written by Pat Benatar or Paul Stanley or you know the list any band you've ever worked with. Until that fan takes a little bit of time and goes, all right. I want to learn more about this artist and this song and then you start looking at the songwriters and go wow that artist has no involvement in the songwriting at all it was somebody else is that a is that a personal frustration as a songwriter to sit back and go wow it, the whole world thinks somebody else wrote this song um you know i've had to sort of basically come to terms with that but um to be completely honest uh, no, it sucks. It sucks because that's the way it is. And um, that's what I meant before when I said it's a thankless, it, it could be thankless sometimes because in fact, many of those artists will sort of go out of their way to perpetuate 
the myth that they sure. wrote or, oh, you know, we changed the song so much that we should have been a writer on it. I mean, I have one artist that did that and um, I won't say who it was, but um, it was crap as bullshit, you know, because <laughs> uh, the song was there, you know, whether it had this sound or this drum thing or whatever. It's, um, so it's it, it can be annoying. I mean, I, I used to, I still listen a lot to like songs from the Great American Songbook, which is stuff like Sinatra and mm -hmm. um, Tony Bennett. And they were wonderful. You know, they would say, oh, this song was written by the great blah, 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 or whatever. Not that they have to say the great Holly Knight, but I'm just saying they, they, they acknowledge that this was their job and they worked together to, to, to create something really wonderful. But I think there's been a stigma with a lot of bands that they feel like they're selling out if they have someone outside the band come and either write with them or for them. I mean, it's even worse if they write for them, let alone with them, at least with them, they can say, well, we brought someone in. Um, and I, I think that's kind of sad. I mean, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's if, if you're a great actor, that doesn't mean you have to be a screenwriter. I mean, some are and they do both, but they're different. They're very different. You know, well, yeah, and and I, I I think too hasn't things haven't things changed in the respect that when you when you're listening to the Great American Songbook and you listen to those wonderful artists as a kid growing up, I never thought that them not writing a song was important one way or another. It was more right. about I like that song, and so you right. knew Burt Bacharach, you knew Carol King, you knew all these different folks who wrote all of these incredible songs. And then all of a sudden, it seems like once we got into the 70s, a lot of the bands, to your point, seemed to like they wanted to hide all of it, even down to the chapter. And guys, we're not going to reveal a bunch of stuff, but there's a great chapter in there about how, how Holly met everyone in Kiss and how she ended up on Unmasked and all of these different cool stories. But they didn't want anyone to know because they were so worried that it would somehow hurt their brand. Right. Well, Kiss is sort of an exception, and, and, and I understand that because it's it doesn't just extend to songs. Um, and I think it was later as they went along. It wasn't like in the beginning they were writing everything. Um, but, you know, it was sort of part of that whole superhero, Kiss Army, the Kiss makeup and all yeah. that, you know. Um, yeah, I really got, got into that in the book because I did play on one of their records, and I was told I wouldn't get credit for it and neither did Anton but we looked at the upside as like well we're still we're going to be on a kiss record and we're going to make money and for me it was exciting because it was like I'd never played on a, a I'd never recorded um anything before you know right. um I'd never played on a record I'd I think I'd done maybe one or two little demos but it wasn't like walking into the record plant and you know End, end up playing on a whole record, which is what happened with Unmasked, you know? And a lot of times publishers, I mean, I talk about this in the book where on Better Be Good To Me, I wrote the song with Mike Chapman and we recorded it. He produced it. It was on the second Spider record. And weeks later, his partner's name was on the song, you know? And I had to ask him, well, why is his name on the song? And he said, well, because we have a partnership, you know, like, I guess, Nikki Chin, Delusions of Grandeur, he thought they were Lennon McCartney or whatever. And so he got his names on all these songs. And I've written with both of them. And, you know, I said in the book, we wrote the song. He wasn't even in the country when we wrote it. And he's perpetuated this myth for years continu and continues to do so. Let me circle back to 
perpetuating the myth and in relation to KISS. So as you revealed in the book, you started out and recorded keyboards on Shandy. The band loved it. They asked you to stay and record keyboards on the entire album. And and you talk about how Gene sat down and talked to you and said, okay, you're not going to get credit for this. It's it's the myth, all this. What why why are you fine now revealing it? Is that something that you were like, all right, time, time has passed. I got permission from the band. What 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 allows you to come to a point where you go, all right, I'm gonna reveal what I did on all of this. Well, it's like 30 years later or something, first of all. Kiss has taken off the makeup, they've put it back on. They've pretty much been transparent themselves. And look, I mean, they gave me record plaques when the record went gold. In fact, it's right here. Right there. Yep. That's the first record plaque that I ever got. And so they were sort of even saying what, you know, and um, I don't know. I think it's because I'm telling my story now. Like I never really talked about it in interviews before. Although it wasn't like I held it back either. I just think this was just the right time to to tell, you know, lots of different stories. And the thing was, I've seen plenty of interviews where one of them has mentioned me or whatever anyway. I mean, now that, now that I've sort of made it um, and it's been decades, Gene is like very proud of me. And when he did the, uh, the Vaults record, um, he didn't mention the other two. He, the only two people he mentioned were Anton and I because, you know, we played on a demo. And you remember he made that that vault package yep. vault uh, where everything he ever recorded that didn't end up on a record he put on this uh, collection. And, um, you know, he said that we came in and played on the demo. And, you know, he. I mean, I, I don't know. I just think that I've seen different uh, articles and things where he's he's talked about it himself so I don't think anybody I think at this point I think that I've quite honestly I think the kiss people knew right away from the beginning I mean I said in my book you know that they um because the kiss army is such an avid you know they're such avid fans that they knew my name and they knew who I was like the second that record came out you know I don't think it was like a military secret or anything like that. No, but it's, you know, it, I, I always kind of wonder how you how you deal with that. I, I would like to ask you a question about Heart. So you were a co-writer on one of their really big hits, Never. Yes. Okay. That was what, 1986? Around that time, yeah. Okay. So one of the things we talk about on three sides a lot is how we felt that once kiss took the makeup off they started to chase trends they started to chase after bon jovi and all these different people and at that point heart started to have a resurgence and success with that song along with the other ones that ended up on that 1986 or 87 release Mm-hmm. Um, and they had brought in, um, oh God, Mike, Ron, ne- Ron Nevinson, Ron Nevinson to, to produce this record. Right. When you sat down with them, they weren't at their peak popularity at that point. They had just released Passion Works, which has got um, How Can I Refuse? And before that, it was Cities Burning on the record before that. Do they come to you and say, we need a hit? Or is it just understood that you're always going to try to write a hit and you just write the song and it goes in the direction it goes in or was there a lot of production stuff that happened because it was Ron Nevinson that you weren't expecting um well first of all they didn't come to me and say we need a hit their management did 
Okay. It's just a lot different, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, they were kind of like, they were kind of over and uh, John Kalodner A&R'd that record. And he said A&R'd a lot of, he's a friend of mine. I haven't seen him in ages, but I like the fact that he worked with bands that were sort of, they had a lot of, a lot of steam left in them and a lot of music left in them and they weren't ready to be put out to pasture um even though they were not at a good place where they were making good records and certainly aerosmith was another band that i worked yeah. with the same position um i was just i was like fangirl i was such a fan of this i there's both those bands that i just remembered what they had done earlier and 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 i felt i agreed with 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 john so when I when I met the girls from Heart, I think at this point everybody was being more open to writing with people, not so much taking a song. Although I know there was a, a the, the first number one that Aerosmith had was an outside tune. Um, it wasn't even co-written with them, which was uh, I don't want to miss a thing. Yeah, um, but you know the problem is is that when that happens, like I always prided myself in writing with bands and, and, and wanting them to sound like it, it's the band wrote it themselves on a good day. You know, like I didn't want to do anything to compromise or get them to fit into that sort of corporate rock mold that a lot of bands were doing. Um, and so I would often say, is this something you would do? Would you try something new? Like the, the song never had a very sort of funky guitar riff to it, which was not sort of a typical, you know, thing that, that Hart did, but they loved it. They actually, went for it and um and we had fun writing but i mean really most of the song when i would write with them would come from me because i was like the new blood they needed that they needed like some sort of something that they obviously weren't doing on their own you know so um, what happens then with artists let's use them just as an example yeah when you when you've been on top and now all of a sudden you're starting to see a decline because you could argue the production was good, bad, or indifferent on a lot of those records for them in the 80s. And I would make the same argument with Cheap Trick, whom I absolutely love. But it okay. feels like there was still a lot of really good material on those records. So how do you how do you help? You know, the choice at the end of the day is up to the A&R people that pick the songs. And like, yeah. I wrote another song on that record called Eyes, which was much more of a rock song, but it yeah. the way it was produced was, it wasn't raw enough as I heard it in my head. And in fact, there was that album that Cheap Trick did, Lap of Luxury, where I wrote a song called Space. Yes. And um, I felt like it was such a weird production. It was like very sort of Bowie-ish. And the yeah. original production is like raw rock. And I've just actually re-recorded that with a female singing it. And it actually, the lyrics work better because the lyrics say, I need some space yeah. come at some other time and place. And, and for a woman to sing that, it's cooler. If a guy sings it, it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, and I think that was part of the the weird okay. mistake. Um, but also, yeah, I was I wanted it to be more rock, and 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 again, like you pointed out, there was this trend to do this sort of corporate sounding rock that wasn't necessarily. I mean, I think even Kiss fell prey to that for sure. You know, when oh, they went God, to that yeah. period, and I think when I played on Unmasked, as they said in the book, I think a lot of people loved it, and as many people hated it. Because, you know, the purists would think, you know, they're thinking back to early, early times. And really, if you think about it, most bands do their best work on the first record because they've had years to write this stuff. 
Then they get success, they have to go on the road and they have to sort of fit that in between and they have to try and like do better than the record before or at least as good as the one before. And so, you know, I mean, some of my favorite stuff, say with Hart and Aerosmith, this is their early stuff. It's not even like permanent vacation. Yeah, you well, know? and like with Unmasked, I, I was okay with the keyboards as a Kiss fan. The, my bigger issue with Unmasked is I don't really particularly like the production i where's the bass where's the yeah. crunchy guitars and it, it still could work with keyboards but give me something that wasn't so i don't Polished know and, yeah. yeah it was almost right. like yeah tinny and i don't know empty but then again yeah. i'm just a music kind of I, you know i i will well, I say agree. you know i'll say that that when unmasked came out it was an album that as a kiss fan i was just like i don't get what's going on here where are they going? Yeah. But of their entire catalog, Unmasked is probably the album that I now come back to and appreciate more, so much more. I, I will listen to that so much more now than I ever did when it first came out. It's one of those things where I think time has allowed me to appreciate what was going on there. Back then, you know, I was just that Kiss Army guy who was just like, Come on, how do I headbang to this? How do I bang my head? To, there's nothing to right. bang to here. This was, you know, you 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 change something dramatically in in the views of the fans, is what I felt like. So to that to that point, do you recall what was the vibe like in the studio around Unmasked? I mean, obviously, not just musical directions were changing, the band members were were changing. I mean, mm -hmm. Peter was already gone, mm -hmm. and Ace was not happy at all. Do you did you get any sense of things were not? I felt not like there right? was. I felt like there were two sides to the band where you had Gene and Paul, who were like, you know, the most committed ones, and. Um, I mean, I don't want to get too much into an uh, sort of analysis of of. of what they were or weren't but i would just say it felt very divided like they were there all the time in the studio i didn't see ace in the studio i didn't see paul but that was just one day anyway you know sure yeah and i'd hung out enough with 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 ace to know okay he's a party animal he's this he was also i felt the most um i don't know talented he was the most creative and the most outrageous in the group and for a guitarist that that's what you want you know yeah. Um, but but the, these guys were the business guys and these guys were the bad boys, you know, and so it wasn't like totally united, the, all four of them being, it was like two, two of this and two of this, you know. I don't know. I was just so happy to just be in the studio. I thought oh, I can't I bet. Wait to get yeah. back and say, well, tell yeah. Antoine and Keith that I'm on the record. And not only did I play on one, I played on eight songs and aren't I badass, you know? Um, so that was kind of cool. And I thought it was very sort of forward thinking on their part. I mean, here you have these guys that come off as like, you know, um, you know, they were famous for bragging that they'd slept with like 5,000 women. And I thought, well, that's disgusting. And that's this and that's that. And then all of a sudden, here they are giving me a job without banning an eyelid when other people sometimes had attitudes of, oh, girls can't rock, blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. So um, I have to give them a lot of credit for that. I mean, they really gave me a lot of confidence on many levels, you know, or they would come to our gigs, all would come to our gigs and, and, and things like that. So they're really part of my, I guess, coming of age story. It, you don't have to name names, 
but I'm curious, have you ever been approached to write songs for an artist and you've Mm -hmm. turned it down because you feel like whatever type of artists they are, you just don't feel like you can fit with a song for them? Right. Um, I don't think that's ever happened. I mean, there, it's happened with some unsigned artists where it was just like, no, this is just going to be songwriting 101. And I don't see these, this band is not like going to make it or whatever, which um, once or twice I was wrong, but most of the times I was right. Okay. Um, Paul can tell you a funny story about Guns N' Roses with that, because I missed on that one. <laughs> he took well, me, we went to see Guns N' Roses and... Um, I don't know if the sound was bad or it was too loud or whatever, um, but I just didn't see that they were going to make it. So what do I know? Well, and that's the and whole I love thing. Guns N' Roses, so, but, it, you know, whatever. But but you don't know. If it, and like you said, it, it, it was a snapshot in time. Okay, then I'm going to turn the table on you. And this time I would love for you to name names. Mm-hmm. Are there any artists that you really admire that you would have lo- you would still love to work with that you haven't worked with yet? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, one would be Lady Gaga for sure. Okay. Although I like Lady when she's Lady Gaga when she's being like more artsy, like when she did Bad Romance. I think she's gotten a little. It's almost like she's bought into that sort of corporate ballad sort of. She's gotten a little tame, you know, for my taste. I want to go yeah. back in there and write the weird stuff, but commercially weird stuff with her. I love mm-hmm. her. Um, yeah, I think I'd she's lo- amazing. Yeah, I'd love to work with Trent Reznor. I think he's so badass with everything he does. I mean, he can score a film. He can sing. He, I love the Nine Inch Nails. I've always been a huge fan of, of his sound and industrial rock. Um, I would love to work with Adele. Um, I mean, these are sort of big artists but like you know i sort of feel like um why not you know oh absolutely Um, i'm curious yeah and then as far as rock which i was actually talking to their manager and i just missed the mark because they had finished the record but i'm hoping for the next time is the group manskin who i've been a fan of for like years now i don't know how much you know about him but i they're bringing rock back in what you you should check them out it's a four-piece rock Mm -hmm. band from italy okay um and they have a fantastic girl in the band. She kind of looks like uh, Nico from Velvet Underground, but she plays yeah. incredible bass. They won the Eurovision. For, well, first they won second place on like an, one of those X Factor things in Italy. And a lot of their music was Italian, so you didn't even understand what they were saying. But their rock ethos was fantastic. And um, yeah, they just put out a record. So I, I would love to work with them. I'd love to work with the Struts too. I think they. Yeah. Need some oh yeah, they are a great band. Great. They're a great the, band, but they're, the weakest part of them, I believe, is the songs. That's why they haven't exploded. They should have brought back the rock thing, but now they're sort of like in this little niche, you know. Right. I would love to see what you could do with someone like Garbage. I, I mean, oh. I love Shirley Manson. I love that Amazing. band. Which big, you know, I would work with them in a heartbeat. Those are the kinds of bands I love. You know, right. they're kind of they're rock, but they're still. I don't, you know, I hate that word pop because it makes something sound sort of cheesy, but popular really comes from the word, uh, pop comes from the word popular, which means that could be anything as long as it's really good. And usually if it's weird and it's iconic because it's different, that's pop music to me. So if you have rock pop, I mean, that would be great. 
Well, that's where I live. You know, I'm not a metal guy. So for me, yeah. that's the okay. kind of stuff I enjoy the most. Well, that's interesting. So you uh, do you are you part of the Kiss uh, the Kiss family or you're just for this interview? You can take No, no, no. I'm 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 one of the co-hosts on this on the podcast. I'm just a big Kiss fan, but we love all yeah. kinds of music. It, this actually started about oh, 10 years ago. Um Michael and I were sitting in a bar. We grew up in the same town. And I just said to him, because he had other stuff going on and he was marketing and digital, all that. And I said, you know, if you ever want to do a KISS podcast, I would be interested because it's one of the bands I actually know enough about. Even though I love the Beatles, I don't know the details of the Beatles. And for me, this is more of a fun thing to do to get together with our friends once a week and talk about music. And it just kind of exploded into this thing. And, um, you know, I just, for me, it's the thrill of meeting people like you and hearing your story and, and learning something new that that makes this worthwhile from my perspective. You know, as, as we, we love to tell our listeners, step outside of your comfort zone and try to listen to something something's other new. than KISS. Right. Don't listen to KISS 24-7. There's so much great music out there. Right. And you you can start by looking at the bands that KISS grew up on. Who well, influenced Paul and Gene? Yeah. 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 I, um, I, I'm a full-time real estate agent, but what I do on the side is I do rock photography or photography. I shoot over 200 bands a year. So oh, wow. I am constantly out seeing different artists. I've found so much incredible music that I would have never been exposed to. Because when we were kids growing up, if your friend didn't bring over a copy of the new Billy Squire record or whatever it is, you wouldn't know it. And so that's where my exposure to music came from. So now, like for Michael, he's probably the most open-minded of anyone I've ever met because he's always listening to Spotify and I'm finding bands by going to see him live. So for right. me, it's like, you got to keep finding new stuff to listen to. Oh, absolutely. You know how I found that Ben Manskin? I have a group that I've put together. Um, originally, we were going to call it the uh, Crush, but it's now it's called The Terrible Truth which I think okay. is more me, but it's all women and they're all amazing musicians, which has never really been done. I mean, the most commercial band was the Go-Go's. This band, they're all like killer players. I mean, the okay. bass player took off to play with White Snake and the guitarist is like a protege of Steve I who helped me get her over to America because she was in Germany. Um, I'm not actually in the band as far as touring, but I, I produce it and I write the music and I play all the keyboards. Um, but it's also guitar based. So we were looking for a singer at the time. And um, the singer we have is incredible. Uh, she won a Tony for Hedwig and the Angry Inch on Broadway. And she's a killer rock singer. I, I love that 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 performance. I love that movie. Hedwig is such such yeah. a crazy fun production. Well, you should, but you should see the musical. I mean, it was really, it was on Broadway and it was huge. Sure. Um, but I like the music. I mean, the music is great and sort of Bowie-ish and, and stuff like yep. that. But um, we, I happened to come upon a singer as I was, you know, sort of trolling through the internet. And I saw this girl singing a song that I loved the song. I thought she was good, but I thought, who had this song? I was curious, you know? So right. I looked it up and it was this Italian band. And I thought, well done, you know, it's like, wow, this is really exciting. And I, I mean, that's the one good thing about, there's so many bad things about social media, but one of the good things is that with Spotify and with some of these, you know, whether it's Instagram or especially TikTok, people are discovering 
music on their own. The problem with TikTok, though, is that it's too fast. Like they don't yeah. take the time to slow down and go, what else have they written? You know, we don't even have liner notes anymore um, on record. So nobody knows who wrote what. They don't care. They don't even want to listen to the whole song. They just want to hear a fast chorus and then go to the next one. You know, it's just like it's too fast. Like, which, but, and I think it's because we've changed as a society. You well, know, totally. I mean, yes, when absolutely. We were, yeah, when we were growing up, I would sit in front of my my mom and dad's Fisher, huge console that had a bar in it, you know, and a TV and everything. Yeah. And I, I would had a listen Grundig, to that was sort of the same family. Of, yeah, and I, I would listen to to Sergeant Pepper's and, gosh, Elton John's Goodbye Elbert Road. Wouldn't you stare at the album cover for hours? hours. Like, it was like it was like I Spy, right? Totally. Yeah. Every time you heard something new, a new nuance that you hadn't heard before. So that's why I'm really tuned into these newer bands too, because I want to go and see a show. That's my biggest complaint with a lot of the country artists is that they just stand there. They don't do anything. So yeah. I was at, who was I filmed? I was shooting uh, Bush about a month and a half ago and they had a band open for him called Star, Star Crawler out of. Oh, they're, they're great. Oh, oh. These guys are unbelievable. Um, the girl singer is like six foot four and, and 50, you know, 50 mile an hour wind would knock her over. Um, but boy, can she sing and jumps around. She reminds me of like an early Cherie Curry from the Runaways. And the songs are pop oriented, but they're heavy. And it's just, it's fantastic. Now, that'd be another band you could probably help. Yeah, what's your name? Star crawler. Uh, Star crawler. Star crawler. Yeah, okay. it's one. It's one word, and they're from LA, and they're just they're kitschy and they're funny. Their their videos are are interesting. It makes you sit and, and watch the whole thing. The songs are solid, and they're really getting kind of starting to get a following. You know what was interesting before when you asked me was there ever someone that I just just they I couldn't see how I could fit myself into the mold of what they were doing I've always sort of prided myself in trying to sort of do all kinds of different things as long as I'm inspired by it so a few years ago I worked with a um an artist named Otep I don't know if you know who oh, she yeah. is yep which is a, a, a an anagram for, I figured out in two seconds about poet and she is like really hardcore I mean she's as hardcore as it gets she does like death metal Oh, okay. And, um, and, but she has quite a following. And um, we wrote a song, we wrote several songs, but we wrote one called Perfectly Flawed that she's had thousands of her fans have got tattoos that say that. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. But when I met her, I mean, I was like, am I going to be scared of this? I mean, she's covered in tats and piercings and she's really intense, you know? Um, she, she, you know, I, I met her and she looked around and I felt like I was sort of like she was testing me or something. And then she found a couple of like books on my shelf and she goes, oh, this is going to work. You know, this is definitely going to work. Um, I think one of the books was on witchcraft or something, but <laughs> seriously, but um, I said to her, look, you're known as the girl that screams and goes, grr, right? I said, like, I'm not that person. Like, are you sure you want to work with me? And no. she said, I said, I said to her, I, I write sort of har harmony, like har har harmonic sort of music and um, melodies and all that. And she said, that's why I want to work with you. I said, okay, cool. So maybe we can find somewhere in the middle to do that. And we did. Um, and if you go check her out, she's intense. 
Okay, I will. Yeah, because okay. I'm always looking for new new music and new bands to follow because let's face it, some of my favorites have already retired. Others are going to retire. And so it's like, I want to keep seeing live shows. So I get excited when I discover Blackberry Smoke or, um, you know, uh, Blacktop Mojo, Buck Cherry. Uh, you know, there's so many that are fantastic to go and see live. And I love to, to buy their records as well and support them. So yeah, yeah I I'll, with I'll Buck check. Cherry. Huh? I worked with Buck Cherry. Oh, did you? Okay. Yeah, I love them. I, yeah. Yeah, they they've got a new album dropping in June. And oh, just, really? Good for but, them. Yeah, they just put on. Yeah. Yeah, they're on tour now um, with, with Skid, uh, Skid, Row. Skid Row through October. Yeah, and it's and they're selling out everywhere they're going. They're selling out, which is fantastic. I'm so happy for them. You know, I wrote a song. Actually, this song was cut by the Terrible Truth recently. I cut it. I produced it, but I. I was just sending it to Sebastian Bach because I had met him at, believe it or not, I met him. I don't want to call it a funeral. It was more like a celebration of someone's life. Yeah. Um, and I met him there and we exchanged numbers. And I said, do you want to hear something I've written just to show him what I'm doing these days? And yeah. he flipped out and he wanted to cut it. And I said, um, actually, I'm saving it for someone. And he wasn't happy about that. <laughs> But it was, yeah, what pretty do you do? Racy, it was pretty racy title and stuff. Um, uh, Holly, can you can you talk a little bit about since we're a Kiss podcast here? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about working with Paul and let's use like hide your heart as an example? Yeah. You know that that was. I mean, there's a song that Kiss did. Uh, Molly Hatchet did. Ace Frehley did. Um, uh, Bonnie Todd. Tyler did how 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 were you approached how did it how did you guys work on this together can you kind of just walk us through as as fans what it was like to create that song okay well that song was created in two different rooms um over I don't know a couple of months so what I mean by that is Paul came over to my studio and we were going to write that day. I had never written with him before. Um, and, and at this point, I've now, you know, I've had a lot of success and everything. And I guess, you know, he figures, well, we should write together. So um, he came over and we were jamming. And I basically, we put the tape recorder on. I started singing this melody and it was the entire melody to the chorus, including the, the part after. So I didn't have any lyrics, but I was like playing. I was going, da 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 hey hey hey, do 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 do, right? So that's your melody. Um, and then he took the tape, and we we didn't talk for a bit. And he got together with Desmond Child, another songwriter, and uh, they wrote a song around it. They wrote they used all the melody and the hooks, obviously, in the chorus. So it was sort of a weird way to write because it was written in two different rooms with different combination of people, but somehow it all came together and worked really well, you know. Was was that melody something that kind of came to you at that moment? Is that something you had been sitting on for a while that you were like, oh, this might be exactly what Paul's looking for? Where did that come from? I think it just came to me in the moment, which happens a lot with some of my greatest stuff. You know, I mean, I, I, I have such admiration for that because, I mean, that, to me, that's the sign of somebody with pure talent where you can just sit there and go, oh, boom, 
and here it comes. It's not like going to the file cabinet and pulling out, you know, something you created right. 10 years ago. I'm always doing that. I'm always like putting the record button on and, and just making up stuff when I have ideas. Cause I, I, I want to save like the meat of what's good. And then I can always go back and go, Oh, this is really good. I can write a song around this. So I'll get, the, I'll get all the initial hooks in there. That's just, I always do that. Um, and the funny thing is, it's like, I have a tape that's probably got like five or 600 ideas on it that I've never gone back to yet. I was just going to say, how do you catalog this stuff and how do you remember where it is? Well, it's a nightmare. Like, you know, like try and imagine like when you save something, you go Friday night. That's all you say. You, you have like, you know, a hundred Friday nights, but then it's, you have a, a addendum to that. It's like Friday night, use this one. Then the next addendum is Friday night, use this one, star, star, star. Then the next one is Friday night. You, so years later i go back and i look at them i'm like what the fuck you know <laughs> the only way to catalog i am the worst at cataloging it took me so long when i first learned pro tools how to properly save things like you're into photography i am too yeah. i have actually have a website with my photography oh, and cool. someone's yeah it's uh it's hollynightphoto.com check it out and i do a lot of black and white stuff i love architecture so i like to travel me and, too yeah um but cataloging photos i am like the worst at it it's like and then i go back to find them and i've sort of by accident i've lost a lot of the uh the high-res photos they've just if i crop them or whatever it took me a long time to focus on that because that's a more of a different side of the brain you know um but yeah making stuff up on the spot is 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 um is risky with certain artists a lot of times i will make something up or a few ideas um and I'll store them so when I go to write with someone, I'm not just we're not just sitting there twiddling our thumbs, you know, like we have somewhere to springboard from. Um, but my favorite way is just to like if I come in alone and I'm sitting down at the piano and I just start playing and you know stuff like that. Do you ever? Is it always ideas that come to you that you just think this would work for so and so when you? I got I don't even know how I'm trying to ask this. I try to do that actually. Okay. All right. So, so yeah. would your, would your process or what you're thinking in your mind be different when approaching kiss versus approaching Aerosmith or are those similar because they're similar type of bands? Um, well, they're kind of similar cause they're both big, super rock bands. Um, but let's say if it was Lady Gaga okay. and it was kiss, then yes, I would approach it differently. Completely different. Yeah, although, you know, a good song is a good song, and, and depending on how you produce it, it can work any number of ways. But I always try to at least get inside the head of the artist, but not to copy something they've already done. I think that's the problem with, you know, a, a lot of people. Like when, when I would write uh, for Benatar, like I would hear all, I would see these who's looking lists from other publishers, and they'd say, we're looking for a Benatar type, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah. the last thing you want to do um, uh, is send an artist, like, for instance, Tina Turner, um, who I've written nine, she's done nine of my songs. I would never send her a vocal with a woman that sounds like her. I'd much rather send her a vocal with a guy singing it. Right. Her, you know, okay. she's got that edgy voice. And that way it's not insulting to her, like someone's trying to parody her. And, it just seems sort of manipulative to try to send an artist someone that sounds just like them, you know. 
Well, it seems like so many of the people in your industry, though, that are trying to sell records are the manip manipulative ones. Because well, yeah, it's yeah. To make... especially now. Yeah. Now. Oh, is it's even worse? Oh, God, yes. You know, that's why you don't see a lot of new acts and bands that come, go out and they're commercially uh, you know, successful because nobody wants to take chances anymore. In fact, so many records are made that get shelved before they even come out because they've tested it somewhere and they've tested in the wrong market. And what used to happen with the bands that we love is that they developed over time. There were guys right. called A&R guys and over time they would build the records and they would let them grow. And um, What's the name of a song that you absolutely love that you wish you would have written? You know, it's interesting you said that because in the back of my book, which by the way, here, let me show you this. I have this here. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm the I warrior. I haven't gotten to the back of the book yet, but you can see it's me though. Right? Yeah, yep. it is. Um, my crazy life writing the hits and rocking the MTV eighties. Um, in the back of the book, my editor had said to me, can you name 10 songs you wish you'd written? Why don't you do a little section like that? So I did only I could only, I got it down to 13, you know, and sometimes it was more about the the people, the, the 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 writers that wrote a whole body of work, like you know the Stones. Like yeah. I pick, I just pick Satisfaction because it's such a perfect, simple, simple, simple tune. Mm -hmm. um, but it's poignant in in what it says, and it's rock and roll, you know. But there, that when I say that, I mean like their whole body of work, you know. So, um, I kind of did that with Todd Rundgren did that with uh, I wish I'd written the James Bond theme oh yeah yeah I mean that's not a song as far as lyrics and stuff but that was right. one of the ones I listed I mean you know that song I never get tired of hearing and I mean I listed some other important songs one of them believe it or not was um, a song called Little Red Riding Hood which was the 50s song it was 50 was it 50s or 60s uh I'm almost positive it was 50s. Sam the Shaman and the Pharaohs? Yes, because it was, well, maybe it was early 60s. It was on, I had it on one of those compilation records from the 60s with Itsy Bitsy, Teeny Weeny, Yellow Polka Dot Bikini and all of that stuff and, and Splish Splash. It was a mix of everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. But it's sort of like a fairy tale of it, except sort of translated into humans. It's sort of like, um, hey there, little red riding hood. You sure are looking good. You're everything that a big bad wolf could want. And then he howls and stuff. Yeah, you know? it's almost I like have this affinity with wolves. So well, it's I, like the stranded in the jungle song that the dolls yeah. covered. Same kind of um, thing. On the, you know, walk on the wild side's another one, which is sort of like I've gone back so many times to listen to that Lou Reed tune, and I've mined. I've sort of used it as an homage to tunes that I've written like better be good to me. Um, it's really only two chords, you know, and the magic is in the lyrics. So, Is is there a song that you did write that all these years later, either you're, you're pleasantly surprised, it became so massive, so popular, um, or, or just a song that you were just like, that was that was just everything about it was great the song was great the artist was great the production was great is, is, is are there one or two in your in your in your career that stand out for you 
Oh yeah, there's several. Uh, I'd have to say that the best, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's simply the best, but the best, yeah. I love the artist the, who ended up in the end recording it, which was, you know, Tina Turner. Um, I don't, you know, I haven't written a lot of songs that are super, super positive like that. I always go to sort of the dark side of things. So when I did it, I think I hit the juggernaut. I got it right on that one, you know, and that song has been just licensed. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's, it just has a life of its own. It's bigger now than it was 40 years ago. Um, and it's been in everything from, uh, well, it was in a commercial in the Super Bowl this year, in T-Mobile last year. Um, it was the for the victory speech that Biden made when he, you know, accepted the nomination. And it's been in countless, it's been covered by so many people, but my favorite version is, is, is Tina's, you know, right? Well, because it's the original. Well, it's great mailbox money, you know, that will continue to work for you for many, many years, which is the way it should work with songwriters. Yeah, it's, it's like 80% of my catalog, the money value of it is from that song. That's that's amazing. Look, yeah. going going to the I've title of your that doesn't know that song, which is phenomenal. Going to the title of your book, where does Warrior, the song, sit for you? Because you know, again, as as somebody who grew massive up in the MTV song. generation, that is like just that was a massive song growing up. It still is. It's bigger now than it was. I mean, it's in the movie 80 for Brady. It's in Cocaine Bear. It was the theme song to a TV show called Glow. Um, It's just, you know, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. And that song in particular really resonates with who I am and um, as a woman. How did the warrior sit with you? I mean, obviously, it's, it's a book title. As you said, you're the OG. Clearly, that song has a very personal connection to you. Well, it does. My last name is Knight, and I've always been a fighter. I mean, I talk about this a lot in the book, yeah. um, that, uh, you know, uh, I write a lot of songs that, you know, seemed at the time like they were about fighting, which I wasn't aware of until an interviewer said, why are all your song titles? A lot of them are like about fighting. What's up with that? And I, I didn't, I didn't even, hadn't even thought of it in those terms. And then I went and I looked and it was like invincible and love is a battlefield and the warrior and better be good to me, you know? And I realized that, uh, yeah, I do, because that's my childhood and my, um, my background had a lot to do with fighting for, for myself, you know? Um, so, and, you know, I get into it in the book, but basically I came from uh, a, a nice family that was, you know, it was, it was a nice family, but it was still physically abusive. And so I had to sort of find uh, a place that felt right for me. And so um, I, when I write these songs, it's not so much about fighting uh, with someone, it's for something. So like I've sort of become this sort of, what are the things you believe in? What do you want to write about? You know, We Will Be Invincible. That's probably one of my favorite songs because it's just so empowering and it's so, you know, it's 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 an anthem so uh i like always sort of being feisty sort of warrior that's just the way i think of myself you know well and i always have liked the the strong women in rock i've always thought that that was a great thing i never like i would read articles um interviews with some of the members of the bangles Mm 
And they would be like, oh yeah, someone would say, oh, you're a really good guitar player for a girl. Right. It's almost like an underhanded insult in a way. Of course. You know, and I've, I've never really kind of understood that because for me, I actually prefer, I think, female singers a lot more than the male singers, especially in some of the areas of rock, because some of those guys, in my opinion, just aren't very good. Whereas the women just seem to be able to bring it home better. And that's why I like the Pat Benatar stuff so much because I and Blondie as well and, and the Bangles and, and all of them because they have such beautiful voices. And I feel like some of that just adds to the song so much. It's that intangible that some of the guys just can't do. But it's weird when you go and see a cover band. Uh, and if it's a rock band with a female lead singer, there are people who won't go and see it if that gal is singing a song by a male artist. And I, really? either it's good yeah. or it's not. What is the big deal? But well, people... you know what? But to your point, she was referring to actually as a musician because yeah, there's there are yeah. always great female singers, but there are just there are so many great women out there that are as good as it gets. Holly, before we wrap up here, um, one final kiss dive i guess i would say psycho circus the album you had two co-writes on there you mm -hmm. did uh what raise raise your glasses and i pledge allegiance to the state of rock and roll mm -hmm. what was the process on that again was that how how was that different from hide your heart well hide your heart came from scratch and with um those two tunes he'd already sort of come up with the music and um, needed help with the lyrics and the melody and the like raise your glasses you know the title to the song if I remember correctly um we we oh and we had to write a bridge yeah we wrote we wrote a bridge I think that song's great I don't know why they didn't put that one out as a single because I think it could have been like one of those songs in every bar or at a bar commercial Yep. you know even a country yep. commercial with drinking beer it's like and then you know what was it a few years ago pink came out with the raise your glasses and it's like Ugh. you know it yeah. should have been kiss and kiss was the right band to have like a, a theme about something like that although ironically um according to gene and paul they don't drink or they never have or done drugs no well i i think i think i think paul, paul is wine, okay, occasional wine, wine. Yeah. yes but but you're you're right. Neither of them do drugs. Neither of them are are have gotten drunk. Um, you know, Gene claims to have never touched alcohol. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I remember when I started dating Paul, uh, that my father thought that I had fallen in with a satanic cult when he started <laughs> asking around and he saw pictures <laughs> of them. You know, That's awesome. I know. <laughs> <laughs> then I told this is the funniest part. I'm Jewish, right? So okay. I told I told um my dad that he was Jewish and he was like, Oh, well then it's okay. Because that's that's how yeah, the Jews are. Cool oh, he's one of the tribe. He must be fine. You know? He's fine. He <laughs> but, won't do anything. So from evil. like satanic satanic cult to he's all right with me. <laughs> Good Lord. That's, that's funny. funny. Um, Holly, so I'm assuming your book can be found anywhere you buy books, correct? Absolutely. Amazon, you name it. Yes. In stores, I, online. I will say that on Amazon and yeah, you can, if you walk into Barnes and Noble, um, although Paul said he went in to get it and, uh, they didn't have it, which I'm hoping was cause they 
had sold out sold out because they didn't bother to stock it but i think it might have been because they sold it because i've walked into three other barnes and nobles and i've seen them in there which was kind of a thrill you know i mean I here it. i had all these hit songs but then when i got my first box with some books in it i was like i felt young again i was like wow that exciting thing of i've never I've never experienced this before, you know, um, but it went, it was listed as number one in hot new releases for popular music in both Amazon and uh, Audible. Audible, okay. I did the book, uh, I narrated it. And as I mentioned, I have some cool demos of songs like uh, The Warrior, The Bass, Love is a Battlefield. I love that you did that because yeah. when I, I love reading books about music. But the one thing I've always said is they need to provide the music they're talking about as I'm reading it, because I want to hear what is being discussed. It puts you in the room, too, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I did that with the Keith Richards book. I listened to the Rolling Stones music as I read the chapters, and it made it even more interesting because it puts that into perspective. I, I did that with the Fleetwood Mac Rumors book. It's like, okay, let me, but, but it would be nice if it was all synced up per yeah. the what you're reading. And to your point, you put the demos in there, which, you know, give you a whole different appreciation of here's how it started. Here's how it ended. Well, you know, it's interesting because it would have been nice if it was right in the chapter. I mean, it was like after the chapter, like, I know what you're saying of putting it right, right. There at that moment, no. but there is talk about it getting made into a, a like a limited mini series. And that would be cool because oh, each yeah. chapter is about another song and whoever the artist was that I wrote with. So you could make it. So each episode is, is like that, you know, which would be yeah. really cool. That's a great yep. idea. Are you going to be doing any book signings or is there a way for someone to buy an autograph copy from you? What, what tell it, tell us about what, well, you know, I've been options. trying to figure that out. Cause I get that. I get asked that a lot and I wanted to do some um, book signings, but then my editors said that nobody does that anymore. I mean, I guess unless you're really, really big, nobody does that. Uh, so I don't know. I think I'm going to do a book signing at book soup, but that's local in Los Angeles. Um, because I would love to do them. I mean, I, I love just getting out there and being with the people. And, you know, you can look at each other and touch each other. And that's a, always a thrill, you know. Can we, where can people, how do they find you? How do they connect with you? What, what? Okay. Well, I have a link tray, a link tree. Sorry. I have okay. a link tree. Um, okay. It's Holly Knight Songwriter. Okay. And if you go to the link, you can go anywhere. Or you could go to my website, hollyknight.com. Okay. Um, but the link tree, I've got everything like sizzle reels. I've got the links to my Spotify uh, playlist, my YouTube channel, my YouTube playlist, my Apple playlist, uh, my discography, all, all kinds of stuff, you know. And as far as social media, you can go that way, or I'm on Instagram if you want to follow me. Um, I'm Holly Knight Vision. Um, on Twitter, I'm Holly Knight, let's see, Nightlife Music. Holly Knight, Life, Holly, I, I don't know. You just go to the, <laughs> the link. Search, search. Search. <laughs> search for Holly Knight. Holly, I think it's Nightlife Music. Holly Nightlife. It's one of those. It's usually a play on on my last name. I have, you know, Night Vision. Like I have Night Vision. I used to have Nightclub. I also have a Facebook page, music fan page. Um, but my Instagram is probably the best one to go to, I would say which is yep, Holly Knight Vision. following you now. Yay. Yeah, awesome. Getting the book, yeah, you, you can get it anywhere. And um, 
it seems like people are loving it. I mean, I've gotten some amazingly like glowing, very heartfelt reviews from people. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it is, I mean, Tommy's finished more of it than I have, but it is such a fun read because you just, you're so transparent, I guess is a great way to say it. You're honest. I mean, it's great. You're honest. You, you, and, and, you know, again, if you are part of the MTV generation, especially, wow, you're going to, you're going to connect to so much of what you're talking about. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of other stuff we haven't even touched in this book. Rod Stewart, Holland Oates. There's so much. On Joby. Yep. And you know, it's funny. Um, well, two things I want to say, uh, it is honest, uh, but it could have been a lot more honest, but I didn't want to throw anybody under the bus. I didn't want it to be that kind of book. Um, right. I wanted it to be more like a love letter to the 80s, and it's very centric on the MTV years. You know, I didn't really talk about, oh, my children and my divorces and my marriages. Like, that, that's in the afterward. It's really focused on this very special time period. No, I think it's it's fascinating. It's totally wonderful read. Guys, get out there and support Holly. Buy a copy of this book. And like she said, if you want to mail her a copy, she'll sign it and send it back to you. But please make sure to include return postage. Yes. Okay. Because, you know, she doesn't have to pay to send it back to you guys because she's taking the time to actually sign it. <laughs> Holly, thank you so thank much. You. This thank was a, this was a real pleasure. I, I thought you were going to say was... we had a better interview because Mark wasn't here. Well, that too. We actually got <laughs> to ask questions. It was fantastic. That, that yeah. was that was so fascinating. It was such a great dive into songwriting. The the mindset, the process. The... Oh, it's fascinating. And and please, you must go pick up Holly's book. It's really cool. And it talks about so much beyond the kiss thing. And there's so much stuff we didn't even like. Oh, I know. I, it's it again, you know, knowing our, our listeners and their demographics. I mean, if you grew up in the MTV era, you will just be absorbed into this book. There are so many great stories about so many songs that we grew up listening to and watching and Holly was the person behind these songs. Right. Well, and, and, you know, I love that idea that she had mentioned that they may do like a limited series. Cause I could see like a 12 episode run of it where it hits each chapter and she's working with a different artist for each one. I think it'd be fascinating. I think it would be fascinating. I can only imagine the legalities of clearing all the music. Well, that's a whole, yeah, but that's I'm just a whole the idea other guy. But no, I I would love a series like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is again, this is this is what I love. I love music, but then I love learning about that music. How did it come to be? Who was involved? And it doesn't it doesn't change anything on Kiss on Mass to learn that. None of the guys in KISS actually played the keyboards. It was Holly who played all the keyboards on Unmasked. Doesn't change the album one bit. Mm -mm. The songs that you got day one when it was released are exactly the same now. Yep. You just know the history of it. Right. So, so what should we do for homework? I was thinking we should, if, you, if you're not familiar with Holly and what she's done, 
hop on the internet, Google her, Wikipedia, whatever. And I'd like to hear from some of you beyond KISS, what are some of the songs or artists she's worked with that you're like, wow, I love that song and I didn't know it was her. Yeah, I mean, here, so I'll post, uh, I'll post a link on, on all of our socials, but if you're on Spotify, just search for Holly Knight and look under playlists. And there's some playlists, there's some really long in-depth playlists that contain yeah. a lot of the songs she's worked on. What are your favorite songs that she was involved in that you didn't know about? I think that's a perfect homework question. Yeah, yeah we want you to discover the artistry of Holly Knight. I mean, I listen, I grew up loving Warrior. Warrior by Scandal. It's a great song. It was a massive hit. I didn't Same with I You didn't, Better Be Good to Me. I mean, there's I didn't, so many. I didn't know that that Holly Knight wrote it until all of this, mm-hmm. until we started getting ready for this. I think that's just fascinating to learn. Right. So there's your homework. Go leave your answers. Please support Holly. Go check out her book, check out her music. Um, this was fascinating. We will see everybody next week. Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515-VOICES for three sides of the coin. Provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.